that's what I tried to do from the very beginning, back in 2013. Like they were posting, or major publications were posting articles about my events in an art gallery with live music and chefs and women in like, you know, cocktail dresses. But the pictures that were being run alongside of it were like a guy with a bong in his lap. Because it was like, weed events are back. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Jane West, founder of Jane West. Jane, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing so great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be on the show. We're excited to have you. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited to talk to Jane, another Colorado local help push the industry forward. So how are you, Brian? I'm excited as well. Jane is our most shouted out guest on our podcast. So it's nice to have her in the hot seat and, and to learn and dive in and all things about her. So Jane, for our listeners, can give a little background about yourself? Yes. Um, I started in the cannabis sector at 38 years old in 2013, right at the dawn of adult use cannabis in Colorado. Um, I, in my background, I have a master's degree in social work and I worked mainly for nonprofits producing events, but I've always been a cannabis lover. And once it was clear that you could walk, adults could walk into a store and get this wide variety of products and the normalization that would go along with that. Um, I wanted to make some cannabis friendly events and that we were in a gray zone for a while in Colorado. And so I founded edible, edible events company. We produced one event a month. And uh, the first event was January 24th, 2014. It got tons of press. Um, So much press, actually, that um, my corporate employer asked me to resign from my position. And that was just for like being... Just hosting hosting a weed party. So that made it onto the cover of the Denver Post. Um, At the time, I definitely was not ready to go all in in cannabis. And I definitely didn't even see myself as a CEO. I, you know, and I was... At that point in time, all my sponsorships were coming in bags of cash, as they almost still do. So uh, point is, it really gave me a lot of notoriety. I pivoted and started producing events with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, uh, Classically Cannabis. We even did an event at Red Rocks um, on a high note. And that made like the cover of the New York Times. Um, but because of the popularity we were getting, uh, Mayor Hancock, who definitely has been like pretty anti-cannabis, um, despite all the benefits that has brought Denver and Colorado, he was like, these events are getting out of, out of, out of you know, it's too gray. And they sent a SWAT team to my 420 Waken Bacon Brunch at a small uh, female-owned bakery. And that was that was became a pretty big news story too. I ended up with criminal misdemeanor charges and wasn't, you know, able to do anything related to cannabis for 18 months. And it was at that point that I founded Women Grow because women, I mean, I had been on all these different articles from like Al Jazeera's to CNBC, you know, features on marijuana in America. And women were reaching out to me from all over the world. How do I get in the cannabis industry? How do I do what you do? I want to work for you. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, you know, I wanted to help them find their place. I almost immediately identified that this is has to be they have to organize themselves state by state because I tried to help a few individuals and just learning how different each state was going to evolve and how critical it was you had the right business contacts in your state um, was like the going to be the 
the central issue that most of them face in establishing a cannabis business um, where they live. And so we, I founded Women Grow. I worked on that for 18 months, hired the next generation of staff. And then in 2017, after having about two and a half years learning the sector, meeting so many people, traveling to so many states, being in so many grows and learning so much, um, I went on on my own and started building my own brand. So I started with consumer product goods, glassware, a line of dugouts, everything custom designed for what I saw and what I wanted you know, my aesthetic of cannabis to be like. Um, and then over time, we've gone into actually branding cannabis. It's one of the number one questions I get is, what should I buy and where should I buy it from? And even if I'm looking at someone's you know, menu board, it's very hard for me to provide advice. At the same time, I've watched the way the cannabis industry has evolved. And I think it is really important to be supporting locally owned, diversely held cannabis businesses. And so I do both of those things by expanding my brand with cannabis operators. So we now have cannabis partners in 12 states and 5 provinces of Canada. Um, and they carry Jane Musk branded products in day and night. I'm glad you shared those things. And before we dove into the the consumption lounges, I want to speak more specifically about your background. Like, did you were you always a trailblazer? Was it something that you recognized earlier before the cannabis started, or was it something that you kind of just fell into and recognized your your fit? How did that work? Um, I mean, I've always been pretty driven, and I've always been fairly irreverent, which I think you need around here in the cannabis sector um, with so many opinions out there. Um, what I really wanted to do um, throughout my 20s and 30s, I worked in New York um, at the United Nations, and I really wanted to work in disaster relief. That was like my first big, like, that's what I thought I would be doing. And so, um, like, for the American Red Cross, I worked with um, Afghan refugees, and like, that, that was what I wanted to do, um, and emergency services. And so, um, I was work, and that's what led me to get my master's degree in social work. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I find inspiration in a lot of places. And I also am always trying to just like pave my own path. And now that's even more important because people are watching what I'm doing all the time. And also like trying to model their own businesses out there. And I wish there I had more people that were the CEOs and owners of their cannabis companies that I could watch and want to emulate or want to model my business after. And there's just not enough independently owned businesses out there um, for me to have a bunch of comps. And so, um, so I try to just keep showing people that there's a way to do this and to build your business without selling out to publicly traded companies, without selling out to VCs, without um, you know, like letting your idea get so diluted that it's not even inspiring anymore. Because that is like... The only way to keep going around here, especially in year eight now that I'm in, is to be inspired and motivated that you can actually do something really different. Um, because otherwise, it's just, it's just not worth it. It's so hard. It's so much work. Was that uh, some of the motivation behind the brand name? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I um, with, with everything related to Jane West, uh, some of my first inspiration... And, and what I wanted to have the brand be like in terms of like our shelf presence and our brand impressions. Um, well, first of all, it's really important to make cannabis simple for yes, everyone. I in agree. Because it's still like, for most people, it is still very confusing. 
And I still have people that like pick up my like steamrollers and things and like are like, do I put my mouth here? Like all the time. <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, wait, we're like trying to tell them about terpenes and they literally don't know how to, you know, use, use this device. And there's reasons for that. We all know because of all the suppression of, of, of quality educational information is the most likely to be suppressed and removed. Um, we went into the studio after all my glassware and dugouts landed in 2017 and made 25 videos just showing people like, this is how you use this. This is how you do this. You put a half a cup of water into the bomb. Like that's how much, you know, information that people need to like use these basic things, um, basic products and have a better experience. Um, and so with the cannabis flower and the branding, it's about making it simple and understandable. So we do everything in day and night. I don't feel like Satika and Indica, you know, they're, those are not, those words I don't think are going away anytime soon, especially from hearing the way people talk in dispensaries. And there is a truth to it and what people are looking for in their flower and the way the flower is grown. And so day and night is, is that same delineation and it's instantly understandable and it's translatable. Like we have partners in Spain and other countries and, um, it helps people and then everything we do is in dosed sizes. So it's the right amount of flour. I think 0.35 grams is like a serving size. So that's the size of my joints. And that's the size of that's the amount of flour in each one of our prepacked pipes. And that's the per, that's the amount of flour that fits perfectly in the bowls we've designed. Um, to really just have that like replicable, trusted, reliable cannabis experience. Um, and really give people the confidence they need to be better consumers. That attention to detail is unheard of. I mean, I, I've seen so many different bowl sizes for oh, yeah. bongs. It's wild. So like, I have to give you mad and props. There's so many parts about bowls. I've studied them so much. And that's why the um, the triangle bowl on my steamroller is one of my favorite things because you want the most green as possible. Yeah. But because glass wants to be a circle, most bowls are big circles. You char the top of it and then, you know, that's, that's your experience. So there's so much that can be done to innovate in glassware. It's amazing. And, and staying with the, the packaging, right? I know you yes. said day and night, the, the products on the website were white and black. And I thought that was a very creative way of delineating between the two, because I was assuming there'd be more color in, influx on it, but then I thought more about it. And that color is abundantly used by everyone else. Yes. And the simplicity of it is helpful when people who are overwhelmed because it's comforting to see something and say, hey, this makes sense to me. So is that kind of the inspiration behind it? Definitely. That is de like, that's definitely a component of it. And also just like, if you walk through um, the makeup section of any major department store, like almost all the packaging is, 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 even though makeup is colorful, almost all the packaging is like simple black and white. Um, and also just having people be able to like, I mean, most women buy, there's so many products sold in day and night from creams to cleaning supplies, you know? And so having that like understandable purchasing pattern is also really useful for people. Beyond that, I need to make sure that my brand is, has universal like uh, representation across all of North America. Cause we have shelf presence on over 500 dispensary shelves and in Canada and in like, for instance, Florida, there's crazy rules about what you can and can't have in terms of your outer packaging. And so no going into designing everything, knowing that, that even if I come up with the coolest thing, I'm not gonna be able to have it on the outside of the package anyway. Um, and then that's what really led to like, 
that simple, just JW logo design that we do have trademark now. Um, because um, that JW meets or exceeds all standards across North America for being able to brand a cannabis product. I think it's so clean too. You look at a lot of the most successful consumer packaged goods, right? Like Apple, if we're going to call an iPhone a consumer packaged good, right? Like the packaging is so simple, but I think it resonates with consumers so well. And so I give you mad props on that. I mean, I think cannabis too just has so much noise in it, but it's actually refreshing to see something that's so clean and simple. I wish it was even cleaner, but the, pa- the I mean, the packaging laws are just completely out of control. Which is wild. Yeah. Well, they're, they're making it easier by making it harder for every single person. But I think it's really smart of you to associate the, the makeup tendencies because I think consumers, when they're purchasing products, especially for the first time, they like to lean into things that they're familiar with. So how do we get more women to feel comfortable kind of making that move into cannabis, right? Ones that are maybe more common with wine and looking or are open to that. How do we change that and move them in? Well, number one, the cannabis industry is becoming like almost B2B where we are listening to ourselves and forming this industry and all the companies are listening. Um, but also, you know, we're now we're dealing with these public markets and all these other things, but that all of that, the finance sector, uh, VC world, publicly traded companies, those are female friendly places already to begin with, you know? And so there's ways that the cannabis industry is, is evolving that women are still being addressed by major companies as if we're some niche market. And so that is one thing that definitely has to change is that like we are regular consumers and heavy consumers and there should be a wide variety of products for everyone. Just because for women doesn't mean it's like smaller and a color and has like lipstick on it. You know, like that's that's too pigeonholed. So all companies seem to do better um, in terms of offering a wide variety of products. There's a lot of products out there for women's needs for from like, uh, different, you know, period pain or um, sex enhancement and things that just aren't widely available. And um, they, if they were more widely available, I believe more women would be incorporating them into their lives. Um, so that's one part. Other component of it is normalization. And so that's what I tried to do from the very beginning, back in 2013. Like they were posting, or major publications were posting articles about my events in an art gallery with live music and chefs and women in like, you know, cocktail dresses. But the pictures that were being run alongside of it were like a guy with a bong in his lap. Because it was like, weed events are back, right? And without social use, without like being able to go in public and without any shame, like consume cannabis like you would, not in the back alley, not, you know, and not in like some of these lounge situations that are evolving either. Like, Without social use, that part of normalization where you see that cannabis is for everyone, that everyone can benefit from it, that everyone consumes it, that it's not like the stoner stereotype that is still prevalent and is still the imagery that is being utilized with articles that are out there. You know, there's just, it's not a picture of, you know, an older woman in her backyard enjoying a joint, you know. And so um, it has a lot to do for me with what we can do to make it better is to normalize the consumption of cannabis in a manner that it it seems every day. It's not abnormal. Um, and like when I look at Bravo television shows, which I've been approached by so many different people for so many different things, but ultimately 
the weed parts keep getting cut. You're still not seeing it, you know? And it's because like advertisers don't want to be up against it. And major networks aren't going to carry someone inhaling and exhaling. Like I've seen the list of the rules. And without that out there, without that imagery, like people are still going to... It's still taboo. It's still in the back alley. It's still something that's not commonplace. And so um, that's really a key component. Like for the amount of close-up shots they have of a wine glass in all the television shows, like really directed towards women, um, if just a tenth of that was a close-up of a joint or a picture or a woman standing there like with the bong in her hand, like normal, the, that's what's really going to start changing minds. Yeah, you speak of normalization, right? And you mentioned how the VC world is significantly different, right? And so... With your brand, I think your brand was one of the first brands to be listed on a crowdfunding site, Republics, right? Yeah. yeah. So can you kind of talk us through that conversation with Republics? I mean, clearly they thought your brand was not ruffling any feathers, right? Right. To be able to be listed on there. So you're closer to normalization than a lot of the other brands and industry or companies out there. So you kind of talk us through the process of being listed on Republics, those conversations that occurred during that process. Yes, definitely. So after raising 1.2 billion, 2 billion from VCs for my first round of products, like, and it took a really long time because I was not going to just have like all rich white guys own, you know, running the owning the most key <laughs> equity components of the company. And so my company is 80% held by women and people of color. Um, but after like that round, I wanted something different, and I wanted to show other women, other small business owners, other locally owned businesses, like there's another way other than just having these one-on-one conversations with one investor where like you could spend a whole month and then it's, then they're gone. And what have you done? You've made impressions on one group. But by being able to have a crowdfunding page as a cannabis company, you're able to have all... I'm able to have all of my products on one page, show them everything I'm creating. I can't even do that in the real digital world where all of my glassware and dugouts have to be on one site, the CBD has to be on another site, and the content has to be on a third site, and they all need different bank accounts. So, you know, being able to have my whole deal page out there for hundreds of thousands of people to see is huge. And that is a key component of what I'm doing and in terms of building brand equity and building the company. To me, and a brand impression where someone leaves going, Jane West is a cannabis, global cannabis brand. That's a win. And so having people that didn't even invest but went into the site and read it all, that's like that's a huge win. So when I started looking at crowdfunding and the different um, things that Obama's 2013's job, Jobs Act allowed everyday people, you know, created this retail investor land, um, uh, I was really inspired. And I also found, and this is also like good advice, I think, for people who are trying to find their way in the sector is like, when you get inspired by something, keep going there, keep going in that direction. Because I was looking at people's decks for the VC world and like, it felt like so kind of out of my league and different terminology. And then when I go to the crowdfunding sites and talk to other CEOs that did it successfully, it it was really inspiring to see like how they did it and they were able to do it themselves. So I went to Republic. I did have to like constantly prove to the SEC that I'm not plant touching. And, and I still am not. I'm still selling you know, packaging to our partners through licensing and royalty agreements. Um, but that was really hard to do. I'm very motivated and I encourage um, the other, your listeners to go to MainVest, which is 
really embracing cannabis. It's it's true debt structures. So our recent safe round on there didn't do very well, but the the fact that you can have you can be plant touching an edibles company, a cultivation, and have your 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 brand listed, have people investing in you. Also for people starting new businesses, I direct them there because you have to have all your financials. You have to have your business plan. You have to show investors what you're building. And so for new entrepreneurs to see that and to be able to drill down into all those different businesses on Mainvest or the few cannabis companies that were on Republic, that's really valuable. It's almost like like going to a class, a crash course in creating decks for cannabis brands. So... Um, the other reason I was really excited about crowdfunding and the work that had to go behind it was it was clear that I was preparing my company for the next level. So in order to do it, in order to raise funds on these SEC regulated sites, I need gap compliant reviewed financials. I need to be you know ready to be audited at any time. I um, need to really have tight awareness of all of the numbers of the company and being going through that process um, and going through the review stage now I can date back three years which is you know critical for if I'm looking to an exit um, because that was like a requirement of doing it it was not fun like completing a form C and all these documents like it was definitely one of those things that I questioned whether or not I would be able to actually do it like mostly on my own and and I did and you can. And other people can too. And so, um, but the process of doing it and answering all those questions and knowing the kinds of questions that, that you have to be ready to answer for in terms of investor relations, that is like such an incredibly valuable experience. Um, and I and that's one of the reasons why I encourage so many other people to like just at least look at it and consider it. Additionally, I'm not a wealthy person. <laughs> And I don't know that many wealthy people. And so um, when people were like, oh, you'll have a friends and family around. That's where you just like call people up and they give you like $50,000. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know those people. <laughs> so, so equity crowdfunding also allows for people like my parents and my brother and my business partners and my old colleagues to get to like actually have a piece in the company. And the amount that they are able to do. Additionally, once I started learning more about fundraising to begin with and what an accredited investor even is, like this is back in the day, but still, when I was like, oh, this guy wants to give me 5K and that person wants to give me 10K maybe, like I think I got a few small people. Then the next question was, well, are they accredited investors? Uh, no. What's an accredited investor? Oh, someone who's already rich. <laughs> so, you can only take money from people that are already rich. So um, learning about that and how much everyday people are kept out of being able to invest in startups they believe in um, was bothersome to me. And so seeing this option like, and being inspired by being able to build my audience and build my brand and build my network, uh, that was what really like sold me on equity crowdfunding. And so at this point, we have over 3,000 investors from 42 countries wow. and every US state and territory. And so that alone is a huge brand equety builder. Um, just, and in addition to that, you end up with funds that you can use to fuel your company. 
it's amazing. And the story of going through it has got to be incredibly challenging. And as you've listed out in cannabis is even harder, which just kind of layers on top of everything. But I think it's really commendable that you were able to accomplish that. And even more so that the response has been so many people across the globe investing in someone like yourself who's leading the charge forward. But there's one topic that's really important to me that I want to get your opinion on being stoned and parenting. What, (laughs) what are your thoughts? And do you think the word being high is part of the problem? Well, I think the word being stoned is worse than being high. Um, I know for a long time, people were like trying to get the word elevated out there, you know, but it is, it is what it is. Like uh, normalcy to me would be just like, if someone's like, I was so drunk last night, you're not going to believe what I did. And like lacing off the thing, you know, if someone is as comfortable being like, I was so high last night, I did You know, if conversations are happening more normal like that, like just calling it what it is, you know, um, versus trying to like reframe it all, that'd be good. The most concerning part is when you use this terminology is when the person using the terminology does not use cannabis at all and doesn't even quite understand what they're talking, you know, what, what exactly they're saying. Um, I think the words are problematic because of the relation to other drugs that maybe are, you know, more, um, you know, hard, harder drugs and things that like getting high, like, what do they even mean? Uh, What are you even talking about? (laughs) So, um, I do think it comes down a lot to framing and one of my biggest things that I'm trying to help women, especially, um, talk about is like, what are they afraid of? You know, what are you afraid of? And most women will say, um, it's about losing control. That's what they're, you know, worried about, which I mean, if you've watched Girls Belt, like I drunk people are more out of control than any type of like stoner I've ever seen. So really like learning like what its effects on you, that it's, you know, it's just not quite what this stereotype is. But again, this goes back to being able to social use to being able to have your friends at maybe a festival go over to the side and instead of getting a 24-ounce beer, smoke a joint and then have like a normal afternoon all together, enjoying yourselves with your substances of choice, um, that's going to really trigger people like, oh, this isn't quite what I thought it would be. You're reminding me of when I first started the events and I went to different caterers to be my caterer for the events. And I got turned down. I, I was surprised. I mean, I'm bringing them business, right? for once a month for an event that's going to get a bunch of press. Um, and like one woman was like, well, what will happen when people start vomiting from the weed and then they'll blame it on the food? And I was like, Why? It's, that's not what happens, you know? And just, you, 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 it was really like, it really highlighted for me like how far we have to go with educating people about cannabis. Hopefully... With everything that's occurring on in psychedelics, that all of this will like become part of the bigger conversation. Because women are saying the same thing about ketamine, about mushrooms, about LSD. And I think once we get more women utilizing these products in safe environments confidently, because it's really about confidence, you know, it's just these are psychoactive drugs we're taking. So if you're already predisposed to think that something might go wrong, it might. And if you're already predisposed to be like, I love cannabis and this is going to make my day so much better, (laughs) then it probably will. 
Um, and so it's really just about changing those viewpoints. It's so important too, because I wanted to share stories. I was with a couple of friends and we were gathering around and one of my friends was not shaming so much of my, my buddy, but saying that, you know, he had a tough day at work and went outside to smoke a joint and then continued to parent and was completely normal. And she was upset about that. And I asked her, I was like, have you ever grabbed a glass of wine after a tough day and continue to parent? And she goes, yes, but it's different. And that's when I was like, why? It's, I mean, in my opinion, it is not different at all. In fact, actually, I mean, in my, like, especially when your kids are a little bit younger, like a few puffs definitely makes like an hour of Play-Doh so much more fun. Million times. And, yeah. And I just absolutely know it's almost like insulting candidly to patients and individuals that use cannabis every single day for even their medical purposes that like you're assuming they're incapable of taking care of their lives. We've proven in all of these states over and over again, that that's simply not true. Um, and so, yeah, again, more normalcy, but it is, it's unfortunate that there's these like higher, these, <laughs> these judgmental standards and like so much subjectivity around the topic. Um, and it's why like so many women are turning to like vape and they like edibles. Um, and maybe not so much smoking, but the smell of cannabis or the smell of, you know, combusted cannabis. Um, and that's one of the things I've always tried to change because I love flour and there's a reason flour is still king, even though as like, I'm sure Kellen does in like 2014, 15, you're like, there's never going to be flour again. Open vape is going to take over the world. Everyone's just going to eat it and vape it and put it on their dinner. And so and that's just not the case because flour does what, women want out of pills. It's like an almost immediate um, effect that you're looking for. And so I know that's out there. And that's why I've always tried to create small dosable flower products of quality product that will like lead to a reliable, replicable experience and uh, get more women to try it. Alcohol is a poison. And I am inspired by some of the more like... uh, there's a lot of influencers out there in like their twenties that are talking about that more about like how it is, it's not healthy for you. It, you know, lowers your inhibitions, but is that necessarily the right thing? And for a lot of women, like, like I smoke cannabis before yoga almost every time. (laughs) And like, and it helps me with the breathing. It helps me with my mind, body awareness. And so, um, just more people talking about how they incorporate in their lives would be helpful. Unfortunately, we don't have, you know, the places to build those audiences. We can't talk about it openly on Instagram and these different places. And there's not a lot of educational content that's customer facing. So it's really just about like waiting time and having more and more people utilize the product and recommend things to their friends. And then, that's really how most women that I know have started trying new products is like one of their friends tries it, they really like it. And then they have that confidence and they try it too. And they realize how misinformed they had been. Do you think that consumption lounges are like the needed catalyst to kind of finish the transition from a cultural stigma perspective, right? Because it's been legal in 
Colorado since 2014. And it's just been like a really slow grind. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Changing all of these people's opinions. But I think like you're speaking on seeing other people consume it in these different form factors. And the best way to do that would be a consumption lounge. Do you think that is the catalyst? In a way I do. I It's just not enough normalization. Because it's still like this one little place you go. And the vast majority of consumption... I don't know anywhere where there's also alcohol. So that's also yeah. not normalization, you know? And so, I mean, to me, it really just needs to be like... A little bit like what New York did. Because I've been in New York a couple times since um, you could just smoke on the street. And I do like that. Like I walk out of, you know, the hotel. I always like, I love seeing the standard and I walk down the block and yeah, there's no like kids around and I light up a joint and I smoke it and I know like I'm, I'm safe there. And so that, that, those types of changes are what I, I, I think need to happen more. Like I've seen it also like in my, a lot of the women and people that have moved to Oklahoma, um, where there's like just this really robust cannabis family. Um, and that, that's where I've seen more like normalization where like it is, there are kids there and they're just on the other side of the yard, but it's okay that you're consuming this over on this side and it's very normalized and, um, and just part of everyday life. And that's, those are the things that we really need to start seeing more. One of the things that excites me most about cannabis is the fact that I think as more women become, let's say on board in certain areas, women are the decision makers in the couples. So as yeah. those trends continue to move forward, I feel like there's a massive unlocking that will, will continue to happen. I read a statistic that said 43% of all couples say the woman is the decision maker in the family. And for me, that is probably 100%. She is the decision maker. So do you think as women become more comfortable with cannabis, we will see the changing of some of these stigmas, maybe the adoption on shows on Bravo. Do you think things like that will happen? I hope so. It better. I mean, how much longer is this going to keep going on? Um... You know, yeah, that was some of the major major talking points when we first started when I was doing my first pitches. It was like, women are the chief medical officers of their family, you know, buying even like CBD products and different things for their kids. Um, and so, um, and they, they control what comes in the house. They're making those purchasing decisions. Absolutely. And so that is why it is key to be able to um, have those right products directed at them and have a dispensary experience that's tailored to them. Um, I feel like there's a component here with interstate commerce and the ability to purchase products like we purchase our current products, like on Amazon and online, like we do, um, that maybe will be a big domino. If we can, you know, if I can get flour from Humboldt and this product from there and, and have this network of businesses that, I'm purchasing from that isn't just limited to my geographic area and the one dispensary on my corner that it, which is not the way really anything works that we consume daily. Um, so that, that, that will hope that would really make a lot of change in my opinion. Um, but you're just, no matter what your product is right now, you're limited to in the dispensary setting um, to who is willing to drive to your location and come into your retail store and purchase it from you. And so reducing some of those barriers um, for these products would be excellent. And we know people are buying alcohol online and getting cases of it shipped to them. And we additionally, like schedule one drugs are being shipped all over this country every single day. You know, the VA sends them everywhere. And so the ability to do this is right there. 
And so, so having so that that would really tap into the actual existing purchasing patterns of women right now. What is one way cannabis has helped you that most others do not realize? Well, I would repeat the part about yoga and the fact that I truly do consume cannabis um, in relation to exercising and uh, working out. Even do, you like, a, do you have a specific product that you go to in those examples? Um, no, I mean, just like all the different, you know, I go to yoga a lot. That's like my favorite, my number one thing. And, um, and so just like all the classes are different, like I'm down with that. So at night, I'll definitely be more likely to consume a night <laughs> varietal. Um, and if I need like a little more energy, cause I'm not really feeling the class, then I would definitely go with more of a day varietal, um, for things like, uh, orange theory and like the more like boot campy workout classes, that's like definitely more of a gummy that I'm going to take about 45 minutes before the class. Um, but really just like, it gets you more into the music. It gets you more into not thinking about like how many more reps you have to do. Like you're just more in flow. And I think a lot of women wouldn't necessarily think that, but also, you know, there's reason there's not like wine and yoga classes. <laughs> so, so there's like, if you really take a look at it, you start to see some of the differences out there, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's really just additionally, and, and this comes a little bit from my social work background too. I feel like cannabis helps you clear your mind and, and in a way that sometimes it's hard for me to describe because it's not about forgetting because, you know, oh, you're forgetful or short-term memory or whatever. Like, it's about just like clearing your mind from all the small thoughts you have every single day that are keeping you up, that are distracting you from being present with your children, from being present in your job, from like at like all those little noisy voices. Um, I think women have a tendency to have more of those and really like can, cannabis. I, I believe many of the women in my network, I know it helps them calm those voices, focus on themselves, go inward and be like better and be better. That's like better with Jane and is, has always been our number one um, tagline. And it does, it just makes your day better and it makes them better. That's perfectly said. Uh, I do have to go back and ask about the SWAT brunch though, because <laughs> it, would, it would be wrong to not ask about that. Uh, were you shocked? Were you surprised? Oh my gosh, I was what, so shocked. What was, was the feeling when the SWAT walked in? Okay, first of all, it was Easter Sunday too. So yeah. like there were lots, there was lots of, there were so many things going on that day. Um, it was 420, 2014, and it was a small bakery on Broadway. And um, a gentleman walked in at the very end and I thought he was a reporter the way he was like standing or whatever. And he had bought a ticket, which was key because that was part of their whole like bust. Is that like, I could buy a ticket online. So it must've been public. So uh, he came in and came over and, and was asking me, oh, are you Jane? And blah, blah, blah. And he like reached in his pocket. I thought for sure he was getting a business card <laughs> to give me. And instead it was a badge. And then as soon as we turned, that was when like, I mean, there were like people with guns. There were at least six men in all black. And then there was the gentleman, and then there were some more professionally dressed guys. And basically, uh, Mayor Hancock had sent this same team to like five different events that were happening on that 420 to like shut everybody down and 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 give criminal charges and stuff. And so, yeah, um, we had just been talking like just moments before he walked in about like how we could do this brunch every week. Like, there's so much demand, you know, and. Um, 
And the one thing I do remember, I mean, there's lots of parts that I remember. There were women outside painting pots, painting pots with a pot, with thing. And like, everybody's laughing, having a great time. Um, there was a couple, there were at least six couples at that, at that event that had flown in from other states. And, uh, and there was this one couple from New Jersey that like, I, I mean, that guy got so white. I, he was so afraid that like something was really going to happen legally to him, you know, as an attempt and that, that's a part that like, really, I felt the worst about in my memories of it was like how scared people suddenly were of like, Oh my God, it was, it was wrong. They are going to bust us. It is, you know? And so, and that's, that just contributes to more of the anxiety and fear related to cannabis. So, um, it was quite a morning. And then it also was at the very end, which was a good thing because they couldn't find it because it's kind of a private event. Uh, they couldn't find where we were at first. (laughs) And so, uh, and then, and then I went that afternoon because I, the other job I was trying to work up at the time to make money was to like, uh, run people's booths at events. And so I was running a concentrate company's booth with all these vintage pinball machines up at the Denver Mart for, uh, for the big cannabis cup thing. So uh, I went up there in the afternoon and just tried to forget about it. Uh, it's a pretty classic story though, right? You're saying a bunch of people painting and then you're like, someone asks you, how'd your day go? And you're like, it wasn't bad. The SWAT team visited yeah. and they didn't stay. They, uh, they just they wanted them. They just at everybody and you know, made it hard on everybody. But that really was the first, you know, that was only month three. And it was the first time that the the war on drugs and the war on people and how um, it's all just about enforcement. Like what they choose, what they, I hate to say they, what, what is chosen to be enforced versus what you can get away with and who um, really like took home because I was in the courtroom at least six times over that summer following that. And every time I was the only white lady, I, most times I was the only white person and everyone else being seen in front of the judge um, were, you know, black and brown men mostly. And and these are the being Denver is a really white city, so if these are all the people getting tickets and criminal charges for this product that is being widely sold, like what is going on? And so, and that was what really started. Like I started, you know, getting more connected with the SSCP, and I started adjusting my talking points so that I would be using part of my platform to address like how um, stark the the difference is in enforcement and who's really, you know, winning and losing from legalization. Since you've been in the cannabis industry, what has been the biggest misconception? That people are making money? <laughs> um, is it, I mean, <laughs> in business related side, it'd be more like that, that like, you know, it's profit and losses all together. So, um, finding, you know, so that's one big misconception is that, you know, there's a lot of product to sell, but it's very expensive to sell it. Um, in terms of misconceptions, um, I would have to say also like the, I'm learning a lot more about psychedelics and things. And like, I, I want all the misconceptions, like it's be best if we can knock over as many of these dominoes as possible from the beginning. So I do want to have like a mushroom line I do want women to try these other uh, psychedelic drugs confidently. And so um, I think that just everything related to the schedule of drug, these drugs that we as a country have removed access to, and especially the most natural ones, cannabis and mushrooms, like totally can grow your own. 
totally, you know, you can do this on your own. Um, medicate the self-medicate with these products. Um, and and teaching people that that this doesn't have to be something that you are going to a retail store and purchasing this thing. Um, that it is something that like should at least be accessible and um and something that you can be far more hands-on with than than you expect. My neighbor um, grew a plant. He went and bought a clone and he put it in the, in the backyard garden last summer just, and didn't do anything different to it than the tomatoes right next to it. And he ended up with 22 ounces. You know, I think he harvested it and dried it and put it together. And I'm sure maybe it wasn't like true and perfect, like bonsai style, but it was great. And that was so much flour. And so I think one of the things that that cannabis consumers, especially as we start to normalize it, need to be talking about and demanding is home grow and the ability to, to grow your own and grow a plant in your backyard and consume it. And, um, and that's something that I think people do have a misconception about, about how hard it is. Um, because it really is meant to be grown outdoors. <laughs> it's a plant. And so it's not as hard when you're doing it the right way, uh, like outside. And so um, that's something that I hope people start like thinking about more. Like, wait, why can't I just grow this myself? Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests. Okay. You can sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation. What would it be? I would mainly want you to remember that we are only servicing a small slice of the audience that cannabis can make better. And whatever product, whatever brand, whatever business you can envision that you would want to buy from, that you would want, you should be pushing to make that a reality. Because um, what we see right now is the result of publicly traded companies and lots of different decisions being made about what's out there on their shelves. But what people need is... You know the answer to that. When you're throwing your hat in the ring and you're getting into the cannabis sector, like keep following your dreams of what you want to see out there, especially if you don't see it right now. And then I guess the second thing that I always remember, and it really helps, is uh, I don't know anything about anything at all. I don't know anything. I Every day, I'm learning new things. You can never start assuming that you are necessarily an expert. And that's kind of how you become an expert. Um, and so just keep following that path because there's only a small slice being offered right now to, to, to small business owners of what you can and can't do in the sector. And there's so much more out there. Don't limit yourself by the playing board that's been created and that exists in 2022. Start building a new playing board for two, three years from now. And, um, and then you'll be able to have more of an effect on what you do and your future and your business when you're part of actually building it. So well said. Love it. Yeah. All right. Prediction. Um, there was one thing that I haven't gone through yet that I was, that I was going to mention. Do it. I, it's like this little note card that I made when I first like started the brand. And it was my inspiration behind the Jane West component because there's just not autonomous brands out there. But there are in almost everything else. And so from the 1800s, basically in the 1800s, the following men started companies selling alcohol. 
Jim Beam, Johnny Walker, Jack Daniels, Gerard Heineken, Joseph Seagram, Jose Cuervo, Ed, Ed Anheuser, Facundo Bacardi, Adolphus Bush, Joseph Coors, Frederick Miller, Richard Hennessy, John Chivas, and Peter Smirnoff. And every single one of those products is still in American homes and on shelves today. And they all started their alcohol companies within the same like 50 years of each other's and every single one is their actual name. And so like, that was one of the like, okay, this is, I, I like that was a, one of the inspirations behind having the actual name brand and, um, you know, backing, I think there's, that's one of the reasons why there's a lack of trust and a lack of identification with so many cannabis brands is that there's just not a face. There's not a person behind it, you know? It's like a tree with like one of the bottles removed or something. And like, it's just not memorable or identifiable. And so the more people that start businesses and really are like defending and building something for certain, like the reasons they're in it for, I think that'll build more consumer confidence too. All right, prediction time. With new markets set to open, what can Newark, consumers understand about buying legal cannabis products to help them on their new journey into the cannabis space? I think that new customers should... It's always good to kind of keep a log of what you're buying and how the experience how the experience went. I would stay diverse, keep you know trying new things and trying different things. Um, but as you continue on your journey, you're going to want to start asking questions. Like... For me, the question is more like, who grew this? Who owns that company? Where is this flower coming from? Is it grown outdoors or indoors? How was the extract taken from the plant? I think that's one of the first questions that customers need to really learn about is like, what is the difference between distillate and full spectrum oil? Then we start going down all these different rabbit holes. But the point is, is that like you, you should be asking questions. It's always helpful to be documenting your experience. Make sure that, you know, these are small businesses that are hopefully, hopefully there are small businesses in your neighborhood and community that you can, uh, you know, invest in by going and, and being a customer there. So find the business that you really want to truly be supporting because it really does matter. And every day, some of the best purveyors and some of like the best products out there, you know, these businesses are, are having a really hard time because they don't have the audience. They don't have the ability to advertise. So make sure that you are spending your cannabis dollars consciously and um, and enjoy your journey. <laughs> um, I would definitely for like new consumers, I would um, also like decide something you're gonna do when you after you've consumed it and like prepare yourself for that. Like whether that's like something you want to do creatively or like for me, like cleaning my house, <laughs> things like that that just make it better. Um, you know, kind of like prepare yourself. Like you're gonna go on a little journey and um, be ready for it and be excited about it. And I have a feeling that you'll be better afterwards and um, keep discovering new things about cannabis products. Kellen? I think a lot of new consumers favor high potency because it's like one of the only metrics they can grab onto in terms of like what they're getting in terms of bang for their buck. So I would say to try to avoid making purchasing decisions based on potency. And then I think the other thing that a lot of new consumers that happens to a lot of new consumers is they kind of get 
maybe brainwashed. I don't, I think it's an aggressive word, but I can't think of another adjective. They kind of get brainwashed from bud tenders, right? Especially in Colorado. Influenced. 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 That's a much better word. Influenced, especially in Colorado, because most dispensaries in Colorado are vertically integrated. And so when they walk in and they're like, hey, what product should I buy or this? The bud tenders automatically been trained to help push the store's product like that they grew. So I think that that's the other thing to just be really aware of is when you walk into dispensaries, the first product that the bud tender is going to put in front of you is most likely something that makes the dispensary the most money with the highest margin. And it may not be what you're really looking for. So those are kind of the two things that I would say. What's your thoughts, Brian? I think being open to new experiences. I think sometimes people get associated cannabis with like the college experience. Like I had this edible one time in college and it made me really sleepy. Well, that's not the same type of edible you're going to have now. And I think people can get past, if you don't want to smoke, you don't have to smoke. You can consume in other ways. And I think as soon as we can unlock the stigma and remove that and allow people to feel more comfortable, being present is such an unlocker in so many ways. And being able to reset your day after you've done a million app things. And more specifically, I'm thinking about my wife, who's she's a school teacher. She's dealing with those challenges. And she comes home, she's leading the child and she has to deal with me. And then... She, she tries to go to sleep and there's 10 million things on her mind and just trying to help her reset. I think if she can find a low and slow product but, and then not, and not get caught up in that and just kind of take the notes, like you said, Jane, I think that can really make a difference for her. That's really about confidence. You know, that's what people need to, to feel good about trying this new product and really have a positive experience. I love it. So Jane, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to learn more and they want to buy Jane's yeah. products or invest. Where can they find uh, you? Well, um, you can go to janewest.com and find out everything about what we're doing. There's tabs there for signing up for our investor newsletter. And also every single product I need is there in the shop. And it'll take you out to the different stores you can buy it from. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at the Jane West. Um, Instagram's deciding whether or not I get my account back, but <laughs> you can follow Shop Jane West. And um, yeah, just you know, support. We have partners in twelve states that are like my growing some of my favorite flower and perfectly sized products. So find out if they, you can find our map of, of partners online, and I'd love for you to stop by some of those dispensaries where I know you'll get a great experience and the education that you're looking for. Awesome. We will link those up in the show notes. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.